after that, you know, like, I mean, come on, <laughs> it's hard to say. I will say this, that um, Ethan, man, I just got to say that we feel like you've, we've already had church today, just being in worship today, it was so awesome, man. Thank you so much for how hard you guys work, and uh, it's just amazing, really, and uh, I, do you appreciate your worship team a lot? Um, I, I will say, too, that as a Christ, like, I go to a lot of campuses, and there's probably not any other campus that just it participates in worship like you guys do. You, you're, you're loud, and some of you can't sing that well, but you're loud anyway. It's, just, it's awesome, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, um, I just got word. You're not going to believe this, okay? So in Greenbrier, um, we have 250 seats in the auditorium. We had almost 50 people standing in the back. Um, the total count with 412 volunteers, everything, was 468 people. And, um, I, I don't even see how that's possible. I think there were people sitting on each other's laps, so we don't do that here, okay? I've got to speak. Um, it, it's really amazing. One of the, the really great things is, you know, Pastor Rick's son, Hunter, and his wife, Katie. Does anybody know them? So they're going to be our first pastors over there, and uh, they're going to be one of the guys that help run that campus. It's going to be really amazing. Uh, So this weekend, I mean, it was so good. If you ever follow Rick on Twitter or Facebook, he was discouraging people from going to church, right, in Greenbrier. And thank God he did because we just we didn't know but uh we had pastors just show up and like can we pray for y'all they just showed up there when Rick and uh Hunter and a few other guys were there and they just came and prayed over our building uh one of the Methodist churches there put on their outside sign welcome to Greenbrier New Life Church Amen. y'all I'm just telling you we're it's a blessing and right up the road from you you don't you may not know this in Searcy they have 240 seats in their auditorium Okay, it's tiny. It's like half the size or less. And they had two weeks ago 942 people in three services. Um, we're trying to get them a building going. We have some plans that might make that happen. Um, I really like being a part of, of what we're doing here. And it's just people like you that are, are willing to get in there and serve. And, you know, we're going to reach, we're going to make a difference in Cabot. Don't you believe? Amen. Uh, uh, Friday, Harry Bates and I came out. Just We hadn't seen the building in a while. And so, oh, let's go see the Cabot building. And so we go into the building, and I mean, our jaw just dropped of how beautiful, how big the rooms are for kids. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's just like, I cannot believe how beautiful that place is. It's like, we designed it. I've, I've been involved in every building we've ever done, and this one is amazing. I, I just can't believe it. It's got to be Harry and I looked at each other. I think this is my favorite building because... In 28-something thousand square feet, we got more done than any, the efficiency in that building is better than anything we've done, and uh, we've learned something. So finally, you know, even a a blind dog can find a bone sometime, and we did it right, okay? (laughs) I'm excited. Uh, You know, I know a lot of you are going to, uh, through the the one-year Bible, and and, and I am too, and and I want to talk to you about something that that is in... uh, last Sunday's reading. We usually go a week before or a week after when we're talking, and I want to talk about uh, something that was in last Sunday's reading, and it's a story. You're going to go, okay, yeah, I know the story. Okay, I can sleep and do social media while you're talking, because you've heard this story before, and, uh, and you know, it's going to be really something like that, that you think, well, you know, there's nothing really new here. It's one of the most famous 
things. But I've learned this, that the more familiar I am with something, sometimes it's the least thing I really take into my heart. And so let's just pray that today we can uh, be attentive because it's going to be a little punchy. It's going to get you where you live. And uh, it's, in, it's found in Luke chapter 10. And if you, uh, it's on your bulletin notes and it'll be on the screen as well. And I'm going to start in verse 25 and it says this. One day, an expert in religious law. How many of you know that's a really great start right there? An expert in religious, a religious lawyer, okay? Just what we need. The worst of two worlds. I hope there's no lawyers in the house. He stood up to test Jesus. There you go, a lawyer testing Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you know that's the wrong question anyway? You don't say, what do I do? What, what, what can I do on this earth to inherit eternal life? And uh, what should I do? So religion is all about what we do and not what God has done, right? So Jesus answered the question. He replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you, how do you read it, Mr. Lawyer? You're the expert. How do you read it? And he answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your, all your strength. Everybody's heard this verse and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Now, if I were that guy, I'd have stopped right there. I aced it. I didn't need to, like, okay, you know, just however. I don't have any rhythm, but anyway, okay. But he couldn't do it. He, you know, he just couldn't be happy. So, so then verse 29 says this, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and uh, who is my neighbor? Now, he's basically saying, now, technically, legally speaking, Jesus, what is the proper definition of neighbor? Like, the lawyer's trying to find a loophole in the law of Moses to get out of it because he was trying to test Jesus in the first place. Who is my neighbor? And has anybody here had a crazy neighbor in your life? Uh, if, if you're not raising your hand, you are the crazy neighbor, okay? Um, I, I have... A, in the last few weeks, I have a crazy neighbor experience that I can't share because you might know the guy, and I just can't tell you, okay? Uh, but when I was in Louisiana, uh, I had a, a neighbor that built this house, like this monstrous house, like right next to my, like the, the, as close as a house could be to another house, and you could hear people sneeze inside that house. And, just, it was, and then they didn't have a barking dog. They had a howling dog. Oh, it just, it just went terrible. And like, and like these, it was just like, you know, it was just, I like these people, but the, the woman had this voice like, hello, how you doing? My name is, you know, I won't tell you her name, but uh, she said, hey, hello, what's going on? And so every now and then they had a son that was my daughter's age and he was always getting in trouble, always in trouble, like eight years old. And he would be in the backyard and she'd go out in the backyard and go, Jonathan! I'm, not, I'm just not making this up, I'm telling you. Jonathan, you didn't clean up your room. It's like, ooh, just like I couldn't even, like, you know, couldn't handle it. And then the kid just didn't care, and he turned around and said, I'll get to it later, and he, he called his mom butthead and said, don't you call me that. 
You know, and so the, the father would come out, now, Jonathan, you know you're not supposed to call. Like, come on, get a backbone, dude. I offered to spank the kid with a belt. <laughs> they never took me up on it. So who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. You know the story? And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. He looked at him, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Now, I'll learn something medically in the Bible this week, that if your kid skins their knee, you need to go in and get the olive oil and the Zinfandel and pour it on their knee, all right? You'll be fine. That's what the Bible says, all right? And, uh, and he bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Put it on my credit card. And uh, so the man replied, so Jesus said this. Now which of these three, now he's talking to a lawyer, remember. Now, now sir, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And he goes, the one who showed him mercy? Then, yeah, Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. There's so many things you can talk about in this story, things that we've already heard about. Um, but how many of you would ever say that you feel like maybe at some point you were hurt really badly and left kind of like on the side of the road? You know, it could be verbally, it could be physically, it could just be that, that circumstances didn't work out, you didn't get the job you were looking for, there was an illness in your family. How many of you ever felt like, you know, like I can definitely say that I felt like I was over there. And I feel like people pass me by sometimes as well. We all, I think, if we were honest, would say we have felt that way before. Like, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever felt like things just couldn't get any worse. Now, you know, we're from southern Louisiana, and we like to talk about Boudreaux. And so Boudreaux was in a bar. Is it okay if I say bar in church? And, um, and he was depressed. And so he, uh, he, was, he had a drink in front of him, and this big truck driver comes in, sees the drink, and he just snatches it away and guzzles it down, puts the glass back down, and Boudreaux starts crying, like uncontrollably crying. He's <laughs> like, what's going on? Are you okay? What's wrong? He goes... Man, things, things just can't get any worse. He goes, I woke up late today. He goes, I shall woke up late today. That's how the Cajuns talk, yeah? James can't do that, no. I'm from down there. I know how they talk, yeah. And if you think I'm making it up, they don't say think, they say tink. Yeah, okay? So things can't just get any worse. And uh, so I woke up late, and I, I was going to work, and, and I got there, and I missed this important meeting, and my boss fired me. Then I had to clean out my desk, and I went out to my car. My car was stolen. Oh, my Lord. And then I tried to get a cab. It took me forever, and I shoved all the stuff in my car, and then I got home, and I finally got out in my wallet. I left it in the, the cab with $1,000 in the wallet. 
Come on, somebody. And then that's bad enough, and then he gets, he finally gets all the stuff in the house and realizes his wife left him with all the furniture and her clothes, and all she left him was a cat. That's a bad day right there. And all I'd wanted to do was come here and, and before I ended it all, come to this bar and, and you come along and drink my poison. So, man, that's just a bad day right there. Well, look, we all know bad things happen in this world and we see people that are suffering. But I, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not, that really, I'm not that really empathetic. And so I see a guy on the side of the road with a sign like, I'm homeless, please help me. And and, and like I've seen the documentaries, I know they make more money than I do, you know. And so what I do sometimes is I'll turn my head away from that. Like don't just you know, like don't look at me. I'm pretend I'm doing something in my car or whatever. And like, and so sometimes that's right to do. You turn your way against somebody who's faking it. But you know the problem with that is, is that when I turn my way from away, head away from that, I turn my head away from legitimate need as well. And God doesn't want me to do that. And so you just, you just don't know. So, so what I want to do in this story, there's three different people that, uh, that approach the Jewish man, and I want to talk about the three attitudes. How many of you say, I got an attitude, all right? Uh, the three attitudes uh, of human encounters. We all have encounters with people. Uh, they, they do different things to us. And so what I want to do is talk about it, and, and you can pick up your notes now. And the first attitude is the attitude of the bandit. Uh, the bandits, because that's what the Bible says. And uh, the, the, the guys who robbed him and beat him and left him there for dead. And, and, and all these guys that I'm going to talk about, they have a motto. And the motto of the bandits were this. And uh, there's a blank line. You can write this in. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Now, that's the first point. The attitude of the, the, the bandit is that. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. You can say, all right, go to the second point, Bobby. I don't need to hear this one because I would never hurt anybody and leave them and steal from them and do this to them. So move on to the next point. I don't need to pay any attention on this one. But uh, we were born with a sin nature, the Bible says. And I don't know about you, but if you left kids in the nursery, uh, they're not just like say, oh, look, take my cookie. You know, they're not doing that. Uh, I remember my daughter was three years old in the nursery one time, and a, and a five-year-old kid tried to take her cookie. And uh, he ended up with uh, whiskers on his face for a few weeks. Uh, she, she was good. So, look, there's a war going on in there. Just trust me. And um, I don't know what your number is, but anyway. Our heart can't even see. Our, the Bible says our heart is deceitful above all things, and we can't even see sometimes when we're doing what is wrong? And even, even me, for me to get ahead in life, and it means that somebody else doesn't get quite as, as good as I do, sometimes I'm okay with that, you know, sometimes. But uh, the, the key word here is, is greed. The key word is greed or coveting. And uh, when I was young, I was a, there's givers and there's takers. I was a taker. I was a shoplifter when I was a kid. I used to take a bag in the store, empty bag, and if I saw something I liked, I'd just kind of open the bag a little and plop it in there and move, move along. And, uh, and I did that, and then one time my, my friend and I was, were 12 years old, and we decided to take his family car out for a spin. And so uh, he was a little taller than me, but even at 12 years old, we're looking above it like this, and we're, we're driving, and, uh, you know, and then we would do stuff like, we, when I was older, like, 
in Louisiana, you can get your driver's license at 15. And so we would drive around and look for people with carports that have a refrigerator in it, and we'd go steal beer out of the refrigerator. And so, so we would criticize the people that bought cheap beer. Yeah, okay. But, but by, the time, by the time I was 15 years old, the cops had brought me home three times. And uh, they're like, come on, here you go, son. Here's your dad. I was like, oh, great. Can I stay in jail, you know, whatever. <laughs> so so my, my family was so convinced that I was going to end up in jail. And so then at 16, I gave my heart to the Lord, thank God, and, you know. And so I came home to tell my parents I, I got saved. I'm giving my heart to the Lord. And they looked at me like, oh, no, you're going to be a Jesus freak. Oh, Lord. That's what they called them back then. And... Uh, and at least, please, whatever you do, don't become a preacher, okay? And that's the truth. That's what they said. As long as you don't do that, I guess we can live with this thing. And, uh, but you don't have to steal to be a taker. You know, you could be a business guy. I used to have a, you know, business deals that I've done with people that are takers. And people that are takers, like in relationships, sometimes are the most charming people in the world. They're just really good. They're just really outgoing and nice until you have to pull the knife out of your back, Okay? And it just seems that way. And, and uh, so, so, anyway, the Bible says this. They always want something that you have. And I don't know, we can all struggle with greed if we're not careful. We, we want things and we want them. Uh, Luke twelve fifteen. Jesus is talking to a group of people. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Jesus is talking. All kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That is not what our life is all about. Now, we sometimes forget that this life is not about this life, right? This life is a vapor. This life is a test run. It's a short experience compared to eternity. And we forget that we need to make life on the other side count for more than this life. That what we do here, we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And that's what this life is all about. But sometimes we forget, we want things now. I want what I want now. And that's why our credit cards, we got to have 12 credit cards to cover all the things that we want right now. And greed can happen anywhere, like even in the home. Like, like if you're a parent, I just want to say this. That sometimes we can be greedy with encouragement. Sometimes we want our kids to be perfect before we'll tell them that, we, that they're a good child. And we look for things good to compliment them about. And we, nobody's going to ever live good enough to meet your favor. We need to not be greedy with kind words in our houses. And like husbands come home sometimes. And I, I mean, I probably did this at times. Honey, why isn't the food ready? I'm starving. I've been working all day. You know, I'm working so hard. Yeah, you work so hard going out to dinner with everybody doing all this stuff. You know, so, so I come, where is it? And why, is this, why are my clothes not ready? And where's the remote control? And, uh, but nobody's laughing right here. <laughs> but the husband sometimes forgets that the wife has a need of conversation. Women need 20,000 words a day. And men need 10, and they've already had 11 by the time they get home. And a woman's been stuck with kids all day just like, I want some adult conversation. Okay? Now I'm going to pick on the women. Come on. Say amen, men. 
All right. Sometimes women want to be taken care of in a financial or material way so much that they won't even be nice to their husbands if he's not successful. And I think we just got to be careful. All these things can relate to greed, right? That can be greedy, right? Let me just say this too. And I wrote this down. Greed is not a passive act. Greed is it's not, it's not just some attitude that doesn't affect me. Greed is a violent act because it wants what somebody else has. Whether it be time, attention, status, something is this. So what's yours is mine. And I'm going to take it. Now, how do we take I remember one, I took my son, my whole family uh, to Disney. And so I thought, I'm going to take my seven-year-old son over to MGM uh, to the backstage tour where they have fire and water. You know, anybody ever been there? It's really fun. And so he goes, you know, my son at seven years old, he wasn't going to go anywhere. Like uh, <clears throat> on a roller coaster that had like a two-foot bump in it, he wasn't going. Like that, I, I'm not going. I'm just telling you. I will not. I said, Jonathan, there's a two-year-old going on this roller coaster. It ain't going to get hurt. He goes, I'm not going. So I said, okay, well, we're going on this backstage tour. I brought you all to Disney, and one of the things I wanted to do, just because I wanted to bless you, we're going to go to this backstage. I'm not going. But, Jonathan, there's fire. And then there's, yeah, that really helped. And then there's water. And it's like the water floods down by there. and It's just so fun. You'll love it. I'm not going. And so then I, I like pulled out the ammunition. You, what's, what, are you a coward or something? What's wrong with you, son? I brought you out here to have a good time. By God, we're going to have a good time. So I got on the phone with my wife, and she's like, calm down. And so, like, I didn't take him. I was, like, red in the face. But I took his dignity, and he got me back because we went to New Zealand this last Christmas. And one of the things he wanted to do, he got brave all of a sudden. He said, Dad, let's go skydiving. And I said, I ain't going skydiving. What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, what's wrong, Dad? You a coward or something? So, so I finally bought the ticket. I still thought I was going to chicken out. I had my other son with me too. And I thought I was going to chicken out. And then the person that they match you with, that your guide, was a woman, a German woman. And uh, she's like, we're on the airplane all scrunched up, and she's like patting me, like, don't worry, Bob. Where you go, I go. And, and like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, actually, it's really weird. It made me feel better that she, if, if I was going to die, she was going to die too. <laughs> all right, let's go. You know, like, come on. <clears throat> I actually felt better about it. But I took my son's dignity and we need to be careful about taking something that belongs to someone else, all right? That's the attitude of the bandits. Let's don't be one. The attitude of the priest and Levite. That's the second one in your notes. It's, uh, he has, they had a motto. And the motto is this. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Now, when Jesus tells this story, in verse 31, he goes, By chance... A priest came by. There was a Jewish man that got beat up by bandits, and a Jewish priest came by. A man that, who spent his whole life caring for Jewish people. By chance, a Jewish priest came by. And like Message Bible goes, luckily, a priest came by. I 
that should be the end of the story, right? But the Jewish priest looked at the man and walked on the other side of the road, and so did the Levite, who was given to help his fellow man. And the key word here is this. The key word is selfishness. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know your heart, but I know my heart. (laughs) That is one area that I've got to loosen up in. I am not the greatest when it comes to, like, being totally generous with everything. Now, like, financially, I'm fairly generous. But in other areas, like, I'm just, I'm just not. I mean, so I need to hear this message right here. I, I sometimes I get a really bad attitude when I'm inconvenienced. Like, something bothers me, and, like, somebody in traffic, sometimes I can be that way. Or, like, if I have to wait too long for something, like, I just get inconvenienced. And I remember back in the day, all these people started calling my wife, like, uh, they would call her for help. And we had this lady, like when, she, when my wife died, I probably had 100 people come by and go, your wife changed my life, single-handedly changed my life. She just meant so much to me. And I'd hear story after story. And I said, well, golly, I must be a loser. She did all the good stuff in my family, you know, whatever. And so but one time I was just, she was working with this lady who was 20 years old, full-blown alcoholic. I mean, like binging for days, 20 years old, couldn't control her substance abuse. And so my wife would meet with her and like just sit, like I'd come home like, and and it would always be on the day that I really needed to talk to Jill about something. It'd be like, I had a rough day. I cannot wait to get home. Boom, I gotta go talk to my wife. She'd be at the kitchen table telling this girl, it's gonna be all right. So just don't worry. Like Jill, it's not gonna be all right. She's gonna go binge again. And I come home, this is my wife you're taking. That's my wife. I want my wife. I need her time. There's no food on the table. I mean, I, I just need my wife. But Jill was patient, and she kept, and that's why everybody loved her, because she took time with people. And, uh, you know, Philippians 2 says this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's a hard verse. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And we don't do this intentionally. But how does this happen? Like picture you're on an airplane traveling at 30,000 feet and you're above the clouds and you can't see anything going on. There may be trees down there. There may be rivers and everything. You can't see anything. And what you don't realize is you're going to a destination, but you're passing over millions of people with hurts in their lives. And sometimes we get going through our lives just like that. We're going so fast to get to a destination that we'll walk right by the people that need us the very most. It's, it's really interesting. You might want to get out of here and get to the restaurant before the Baptists get there. And, and maybe, maybe it's time that you need to stop and take care of somebody on the way, the woman with the issue of blood, there was a big crowd. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And there's all these thousands of people around. Jesus goes, who's touched me? And uh, he goes, well, everybody touched you. No, somebody touched me. And you know why? Because Jesus wasn't just going to a destination. Jesus wasn't just doing a task. Jesus cared about the people that he encountered along the way to do that task. And that... You know, there's a statement that I heard a good preacher say, and it says that hurry 
is the enemy of love. Because sometimes we'd be so task-oriented and we can be selfish in getting our task done. I had somebody tell me that recently, that Bobby, sometimes, uh, you know, I was complaining somebody didn't pay me the right attention. I was like, oh, man, the people can't get away with doing that. I'm, you know, like I can't do it. And I was telling this guy that I go to for counseling, I said, Bill, that happened. And he goes, Bobby, oftentimes we're in a meeting and you're in such a hurry to get by that you won't even nod at me or say hello to me. I got ticked off when he said that. I thought, you not, that's not right. And then I realized somebody else told me recently, like, you're in a hurry to get somewhere. I'm like, ding. I'm so intent on what I need that I won't pay attention to someone else. You ever do that? What's mine is mine, my agenda, and I'm going to keep it. And the last thing, and I'm going to be quick on this one, the attitude of the Samaritan. In verse 33, it says this, then a despised Samaritan came along. Look at that word, a despised, can say it, despised Samaritan. Can you believe that's in the Bible that way? Well, they were despised because when the north and south kingdoms in the Old Testament were split up, uh, Samaria was one of the cities where all the criminals that were ex, uh, excommunicated from uh, Judea, they would go there. And then all these other people, they would send people to this, this refuge in Samaria. But what happened is the Jews that lived in Samaria intermarried with many of them. Not just one nationality, but, but several of them. And Samaritans became synonymous with dirty and, and, and half-breed. And, and they were the ones that stood up when Nehemiah wanted to build a wall. And they were the ones that uh, they rejected the writings of the prophets. They did a lot of things. And even the woman at the well would say, look, you can't even ask me for a drink of water because, because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. They hated them. But, but picture this. What if, what if you were born as a child as a Samaritan and you knew that from the moment you could hear that you knew there was a whole entire class of people that hated you only because you were born a Samaritan. And you're walking down the road as a grown-up and you've gone through your teen years and you've become a man or a woman and you're walking and you've had to deal with all this hatred and you see somebody lying on the side of the road that represents the people that hate you. I don't know. I'd have taken an Instagram and moved on. I'm just telling you right there. The attitude of the despised Samaritan is this. This is in your notes. Write this. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. I'm going to tell you that doing good is very inconvenient at times, isn't it? The right thing to do is sometimes the hardest thing to do. The key word here is compassion. Matthew 9.36 says that he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. Look, if you're sitting and you can hear my voice today, the Lord has compassion on you today. No matter what you've done, 
no matter how you grew up, no matter whatever else has happened to you, no matter what you're going through, the Lord has compassion on you. And what we got to realize about the story is this, and I'm going to wind, this is the last little thing I'm going to say, is that in a parable, the, the characters in a parable often resemble a character in real life. And, and in this parable, the religious people, well, they're the religious people. They're the, they're the institutional religious people that just don't seem to care at times. We are the people that are hurt on the side of the road. It's, the lawyer asks, what must I do to get to heaven? Look, we are on the side of the road with no hope of getting to heaven. We're injured spiritually. We're inside. We just, we just don't have a chance to get to heaven. And listen to this. Jesus, the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan is Jesus. You know, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, you've probably heard this before. He was, they're talking about the Messiah that was going to come, and they say he is despised and rejected, but that he would give his life as a rescue for many. And if you would, just bow your heads. I just want you to know here today that if you are hurting or you're confused or you've wandered away from God and you're on the side of the road and I just want you to know that Jesus will cross the road. He will cross the world. He will cross, uh, it says that, that neither height nor depth nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God. And I'm just telling you that the love of God is in a direction toward you today no matter what you're going through. But if you would say, I have wandered from him or I've been hurt by people. Maybe, maybe something in you have, has caused your heart to draw back from him. And, and now today you might just want to say, look, that's the only place that's really home for me is in Christ. And I want to invite him back in my life. I want to ask him to forgive me for my thoughts and my actions. And I want to give my life back over to him because that is the only life. And look, just going to ask you right now if that represents you that you would say that just raise your hand across this room with nobody else looking around raise your hand up high I want to see you yeah yeah I see you I see you way over here yeah I see many of you keep your hands raised yeah I see you in the back over here okay Father right now I just thank you that not only we are the objects of compassion but you want us to be compassionate as well and so Father right now in areas that we need forgiveness, in areas that we've walked away from you, maybe in areas that we haven't been compassionate, in areas we haven't cared or for our kids or our family, we ask you to forgive us. We put you back in the rightful spot as, uh, as king of our lives. And we thank you for being uh, a mighty God that you suffered for us so that we wouldn't have to. And uh, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, hey, thank you for letting me come around. I love this campus, and um, thank God your pastor will be back. And you're going to be in this building, I'm telling you. We're actually ahead of schedule now. It's an awesome thing, and uh, I can't wait to be there at the dedication with you guys. So, amen.